0: plushcare.com slash weight loss this is the vice guide to right now your inside look into the best of vice it's wednesday may 1st i'm sophie Casas. today we're talking with vice social designer eliza enriquez about finding their own non-binary gender expression through microdosing testosterone The last time Eliza took testosterone was about a year ago. Their dosage was 20 milligrams every two weeks, which is far lower than the typical dosage for someone looking to fully transition from female to male. But Eliza is non-binary, and they're uninterested in a hard and fast transition based on normative physical criteria. They're going for something somewhere in between. And it's been a journey to learn that that experience is valid, that it exists, and that it's possible. The results of taking low doses of tea, or microdosing as Eliza calls it, has resulted in subtle physical changes for them. But as Eliza explains in their recent personal essay for Broadly, the most important change has been feeling more at home in their body. So today, I've got Eliza Enriquez in the studio with me to talk about their experience microdosing tea. How are you doing, Eliza? Good, how are you? I'm good. Thanks for coming on the podcast.
1: Absolutely. I love this podcast. Yeah.
0: So you wrote an awesome and very personal essay. Yes, that's what they say I did. I'm not sure I did it. I think that you did it. I may I may have blacked out, but it yes. might have happened. Um, I read it. It happened. Uh, it's about microdosing on tea mm-hmm. and how that has changed your life.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: So to start us off, I wanna I wanna start with the basics. Yeah. Will you talk about what non-binary means to you? Yeah, so essentially,
1: um, to me, non-binary means not confined by societal conceptions of male and female, of gender, of what those prescribed characteristics could or could not be. Essentially, to me, it means being an individual that's understood as an individual.
0: Yeah. And in your piece, you talked about how you kind of found the term non-binary at 21 years old. Right. Um, And at that point, you kind of felt like you had found language to describe your gender identity. Exactly. Before that, I'm curious, like, how were you navigating talking about yourself and about your gender identity?
1: That's so funny because I have a very specific memory of being in middle school and someone came up to me and they were like, are you a boy or a girl? And I just told them, I'm Eliza. Like, that's who I am. And they, I think that's really profound, actually. At the time, I think to me it felt weird and kind of laughable. Mm -hmm. But now I'm realizing that that was just me struggling with, struggling with the fact that I didn't have the language to describe. Like, I don't feel like I'm either, I'm I'm neither and I'm both Mm -hmm. at all times. Or sometimes at different times. There are days where I wake up and I feel a lot more masculine. There are days when I, wake up when I wake up and I don't feel either way. And I know it's kind of hard to conceptualize that for most people. But I think it's really just about understanding yourself as an individual person. I do these things because I like the way that they make me feel. Mm-hmm. I like the way that they make me look. And not because that subscribes to any specific way of being.
0: Yeah. So at 21 you kind of came across this term non-binary and it, it fit for you. Yeah. How did that change things?
1: So once I found the word non-binary, I felt seen in a lot of ways. I felt grounded in who I was. A lot more grounded, I should say. I felt like, I don't know, kind of like a veil had been lifted and like, oh, this makes sense now. Like there, This actually exists and I'm not, I don't feel like really I hesitate to use the word crazy, but I don't feel crazy anymore. You know, I don't feel like I'm looking for something that I can't really find. I, I mentioned the piece that I was reading um, this person named Michael's blog about their journey with testosterone and low dosage or microdosing, And a lot of the sentiments that they had throughout the way uh, th- along their journey, rather, just really resonated with me. I don't know. I felt very like whole in that moment, obviously, that. Makes it sound like there was an end point and then everything was solved, but it's more so an understanding of like, okay, this does exist. I am this and now I can officially figure out what that means for me and like what shape that takes for me.
0: Right. And and there are other people who use this term and feel this way. And even though people's experiences are different and like non-binary is in some ways a broad term because it can mean different things for people. Seeing yourself reflected in this blog or in yeah. someone else's language is super powerful. Absolutely. And and seeing yourself reflected and also no longer feeling like, OK,
1: maybe I will be the only like I always felt growing up. I was the only one in the room. Mm. I I don't think that I ever had a point where I was like, I'm completely isolated. But I always was aware of the fact that most of the people in the room, even if they were gay, were very were essentially very binary. Yeah. And still prescribed to male and female and for me that never felt right and so I always felt like an anomaly in spaces. Yeah. And f- that was a, a time when I was like, "Oh, okay. Other people like me exist out there, yeah. out there, so that means that I can find queer spaces where I will see myself in others."
0: Yeah. So, I think that sometimes when people talk about transitioning, people outside of the queer community, yeah, people think of medical transitions a lot. Absolutely. I think it's important to talk about kind of the diverse ways that people choose to transition. And sometimes that's medically, sometimes it's not. And even when Mm -hmm. we say medical transitions, we can mean a few different things.
1: Yeah, for sure.
0: So before we kind of get into the the core of your story, will you parse that out for us and and just talk about the difference there between all the different ways that people might choose to transition?
1: Yeah, so I think there's a numerous amount of ways to transition. There are people who transition simply by changing their name. There are people that transition by changing the way they dress. There are people who transition simply by asking those around them to refer to them by different pronouns, they, them, Zezer, any number of things in that realm, but don't necessarily change the way they act, don't necessarily change the way they present in the world. And then there is medical transitioning. And even that exists on a spectrum, like I wrote about in the piece, where you know, you could do a really small dose. You can do an extreme dose, and go from female to male, male to female, but still use they/them pronouns. So I think that it's really formula—it's not formulaic, but it's really just about kind of like a DIY choose-your-own-adventure. I yeah. like to refer to it yes. as. <laughs> I don't think there. I don't think there's one way of doing it, and I think that that allows the freedom to really understand yourself as an individual and understand how you want to express yourself uh, with your gender identity.
0: Yeah. So. Okay, we're going to talk about you for a bit now. Yeah, Um, my favorite. (laughs) Yes, me too. Um, So when did you first decide that you wanted to take hormones and what was that decision like for you? So
1: I had been thinking about hormones for a really, really long time. I started thinking about hormones actually in middle school. And then I thought when I came out to my parents as trans in my junior year of, High school, I thought that would be the moment when I wanted to do when I wanted to take hormones, decided against it. Um, And then in college, my first year, I went for an appointment and then didn't go into the like I was in the waiting room and then kind of chickened out and left. Mm -hmm. And then finally, um, like I wrote in the piece in 2014, I was 20. I think I was like around 21. I just said to myself one day, I'm tired of waiting. I'm tired of being afraid because I was really ultimately what it came down to was that I was afraid of what it would mean for the way that I presented in the world. Yeah. I had a huge fear of being perceived as a man. Yeah. Like, that's something that was really scary for me. And that was something that I really wanted to avoid because I didn't ever feel like a man. And I understood what a presence of a man in a queer space meant. Um, not to say that that's a bad thing, but for me, that wasn't right. Yeah. Um, and I think I always understood hormones as being binary. And, and so I was like, oh, I, I either have to be a man or not. Um, and I finally... Yeah, the one day, like I really, one day I woke up and I was like, "I'm gonna do it today." I'm a really impulsive person, <laughs> um, and so I started like googling and researching. I called Callen Lord, made an appointment, and I went in with the intention of microdosing, and then the rest, the rest is history. <laughs> Not really.
0: So you went to Callen Lord, which is a clinic in New York mm-hmm. that offers LGBTQIA plus care. Yes, and even in that context, you wrote about how it was hard to ask your doctor for what you really wanted, which was to have a non-binary hormonal experience. Yes, exactly. Will you talk a little bit about that?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think once I got into the room, I was really fearful of what the doctor might say. Uh, The doctor, plain and simple, just saying, no, we can't do that. That's not how it works. And I think that there's a twofold answer for why that's the case. And it's That we don't read accounts of people microdosing, doing low dosage testosterone, and if we do, they're typically in obscure blogs and a lot of Reddit, a lot of Reddit (laughs) threads and forums. (laughs) Um, And then the second one, just being like representation in media and not really seeing what that may look like, how that plays out over time. And so, yeah, I I just lied. I said I wanted to do full dosage testosterone, and then when it was readily available for me that day, I. Left And I didn't go back for a while just because I was, again, it, it, it was born out of fear. Yeah. And I don't think necessarily I'm, I'm realizing now or I realized when I wrote the piece that it was kind of like a self-fulfilling prophecy where I was like, I'm scared to say my truth to this person because I think that they're going to judge me because mm. I don't read about this very often or I don't know that this is something I can be. Right. Where when I interviewed the associate medical director at Cal and Lord, they told me that it's actually much more common than I thought and yeah. that it's been going on. Something that doctors have seen for quite some quite quite some time
0: yeah and that's super interesting because as you said i mean you don't see accounts of this in mainstream media at all i mean your piece is a big deal because of that Um, and we're going to get to that in a little bit but i think one thing that's kind of striking is this reoccurring search for language in your story where like first you're like i didn't find the term non-binary until i was 21 that's pretty Late in the game. Yeah, to that find, feels late in the game, definitely. Right? Yeah. To find language where you're
1: like, this works for me. Especially knowing you've you've been experiencing the world in that way. Right. And, like, you've been trying to find other ways to show that to people. Right. Whether it's being like, refer to me as my name or rejecting certain notions that people kind of put on you. And then finally finding a word and being like, oh, wow, this is, this is the word.
0: Yeah. And then, again, we kind of saw that mirrored in you... Kind of creating this term microdosing hormones, like yeah. microdosing tea. You 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 know titled your piece that was in the title of your piece, right, right? But that term, in some ways, you kind of created it because, as you said, there really just are not a lot of public accounts exactly of people using hormones in this way. These taking low doses of tea to have a, a more non-binary experience. So. In that context, where you were kind of having to forge your own path, how did you first realize that taking low doses of tea was even an option and that other people were doing it?
1: Yeah, I, I think I revisited the blog I referred to earlier, Micah's blog, and kind of just gained the courage to go to the doctor. And I spoke very candidly with a, with a different doctor than I had the first time. And they were actually really open to it. I framed it in this way where I was like, I'm scared of all the extreme changes. Obviously, it's their job to warn you that like you may go past a certain point that you may not be able to return to. And that's kind of like a different conversation. Right. But what my biggest takeaway from that was being able to have an open conversation with my doctor was really like the main influence. Because I, other than seeing Michael's blog, I hadn't heard of anyone doing it. And then about actually like two months, two or three months into taking low dose or microdosing, rather, I met someone who was a creative director uh, over at Posture Magazine who had been doing it for quite some time Mm. also. And as soon as I met them, I felt like I knew. And I was like, I kind of want to bring this up to you, but I'm not sure how to bring (laughs) it up to you. And then we got into a conversation and it turns out that they had been doing the same thing. And I was like, wow, not necessarily that this is more common than I think, but there are other people out there. Because at that time when I was doing it, I really didn't know of anyone other than Micah that had done it.
0: Right. I mean that's brave of you.
1: Yeah. I I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) To be honest, like it didn't it at the time it didn't seem this is gonna sound contradictory, but at the time it didn't seem like that big of a deal. I was like, oh I'm just gonna take less medicine. Like you take half a Tylenol, like why not? It'll it'll just create like a slower treatment yeah. but I'm realizing now how scary that is for other people a lot of the messages that I've been getting in response to the article have been people who are like oh my god I've been thinking about this but I didn't think you could oh my god I've been thinking about this but I've only read about it on like weird blogs in the corner of the internet right. like, is which is isn't okay to which bring is like, a
0: reddit like conversation into your doctor's office exactly and be like can I do this mm-hmm. and there's
1: something kind of foreboding about the medical industry for many reasons big yes. pharma etc cetera, etc cetera. but also a doctor is not a therapist going into a doctor and bringing in this emotional side of things where i was like i feel like i need to be able to do this to explore who i really am that's something that feels like you say it to a therapist and i think i had a hard time also because a doctor and the medical field feels so clinical
0: yeah no that makes a lot of sense and i mean your experience is physical but it's Emotional. It's I mean, it's hugely more emotional, emotional to right? me. Yeah. Like the
1: physical kind of comes after. Right. It really is about the way that it makes me feel. And while I am excited to see when, when I am on T, I'm excited to see changes. But it's really about like I've taken my body into my own hands mm. and gained regained control over something that previously felt like it was completely out of control, especially right. when it came to dysphoria. It was like, I can't do anything about this. While there are other steps that you can take, I feel like something about using hormone therapy really made me feel in control. And, like, I I have the ability to be like, I only want to take 0.2 milligrams yeah. every two weeks. Or I go in next week and I feel differently and I'm like, you know what, I want to up my dose and I want to try what that's like for three months. Yeah.
0: And I feel like it's a testament in some ways to the doctor you had at Cal and Lord and, and clinics like that that provide that kind of care where Absolutely. like you can have a doctor who understands what you're saying and in part your piece is about a lack of education for doctors and for medical professionals in any kind of non-binary care and Absolutely. trans care and so I think yeah in part your story is calling that out and saying like we need more doctors who understand this yeah and in part as you already said your piece is more generally about a lack of representation like in the media
1: right and not being able to read an account where someone tells you what the script is right. i think that's another big big thing for me too is i didn't have a script what do you i didn't say? know what to say i like went in there blabbering about how i feel about my yeah. body and body dysphoria and you're kind of like uh and i don't know and this i think that the hormone will help
0: you know it's yeah i mean you're also young too right like going right. to a doctor when you're young Sometimes you don't know what to say for things that are much simpler than that. (laughs) Exactly.
1: Going to the doctor is scary. Yeah. End of story. (laughs) Number
0: one, it's scary. Um, Also,
1: something that was interesting that I found while I was writing the piece, doing research, and when I did that research, I often found that there was never a a guide that said specifically for non-binary care. It was always trans care. Yeah. And then there'd be, like, a little paragraph that was, like, buried in this, like, 36-page document that would say something along the lines of, you should prescribe dosage based on patients' desires. Yeah. And that was kind of like, why is this just like a little footnote?
0: Yeah. I think what I really liked in your piece was when you talked about how, so in in even though we're seeing more trans representation in the media you talk yeah. about how it's still extremely binary oh yes um, like you know and cox on the cover mm-hmm. of time right and that all kind of perpetuates this idea that someone who is trans is somewhere in the process of transitioning like that there's exactly. sort of a beginning and an end and you're right. somewhere on that journey right and Microdosing dosing tea for you has been a way to kind of reject that narrative exactly 100%. and i loved yeah and i loved how you sort of phrased that and talked about that um Thank it you. was yeah it was really powerful Thank can you. you can you talk a little more about that
1: yeah i mean also shout out to laverne cox i hope it doesn't come yes off totally as, she's bad it's not like no that. it's, it's just like that people put her on a pedestal as being like this is transness and that's not always the case right? right um But yeah, I mean, I would say I'm tired of transness being touted as this journey that we're all making and like we've got to get to the end someday and at the end we'll look like this man or this woman or we'll be like, wow, like I'll I'll read like trans men are so hot and it's just this weird fetishization of the binary and of like Mm. of you being this obscurity of the binary, like. I was once a woman, but now I'm going to be a man kind of thing. That's how I feel like that's how cis people understand it. Mm. For me, microdosing gives me the power to consistently shift, to occupy that middle gray area that I love so much, somewhere between soft and hard, on some days softer, on other days harder. You know, in six months, I'm feeling like I want to go back on testosterone because I want to float somewhere towards a more masculine, harder side of myself. And I think that constantly being able to do that shifting is really, really powerful and rejects the notion that there's an end goal to transness or that there's some specific point you're trying to reach. Because in my mind, for me, I don't think that there ever will be a point. I think that I'll always be feeling I'll, I'll always feel different. I'll always want the shift. And we all do that in in some way, shapes, or form. I feel like we all do that in a different way, shape, or form every single day. It's just a matter of how you do it. And people aren't used to there being a medical way to do that.
0: Right. So you're a media maker. You are a photographer. Mm -hmm. You obviously wrote this piece. You're a filmmaker.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. That's right. (laughs) Trying (laughs) to claim that in 2019. Claim it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So I am positive that you have thought a lot about this. but. What kind of media representation do you want to see? Because with your piece, I mean, you're kind of creating in a way what you didn't see and what Mm -hmm. you needed. Mm -hmm. And um, I know like a lot of people have responded to this piece sort of saying like, that's me. Thank you so much for writing this. Like, I didn't know that that was possible. But what else do you want to see?
1: It's interesting that you say that because I'm currently working on a project with a friend of mine that is untitled right now, but we will go with the title Non-Binary Nudes. And it is documenting non-binary folks nude in a way that makes them feel either attractive, sexy, empowered, so that people understand the variety of bodies that are non-binary, right? And the differences. It's it's trying to capture, like, maybe there's someone who's medically transitioned. Maybe there's someone that hasn't. Maybe there's someone who has what is perceived as... Uh, the larger society as a female body but identifies as non-binary and identifies as masculine, right? So it's trying to kind of capture the wide range of non-binary bodies that are out there so that way when you look at, when when me as a non-binary person look at that, I see myself. Because I think that's like, for me it's the largest absence and the hardest part about being non-binary is not seeing your physicality in the media because we're so media in general is just so engulfed in how what people look like, right. how tall they are, how muscular, how skinny, etc. and we all fight that every single right. day, right? But I think specifically with people who are non-binary, it is so important to document this the spectrum of people right. that it can include, the spectrum of bodies that it can include, and it gives you a sort of like solace and a, and you recognize yourself, you see yourself for the first time.
0: And your photographs are incredibly beautiful too, and I think that there's something powerful about taking really beautiful kind of artistically shot like professional looking photos that just sort of represent that diversity right. of, of bodies and physical forms and like right. that these are beautiful people in beautiful photographs.
1: Right, and, and it's also interesting to think about in the context of like art history right. and how queer bodies have been absent from art history and I think even now when we see queer bodies photographed, Nine times out of 10, they are still like, I don't know, for me, like the the nudity or the display of the body oft when it's related to queerness is often still grounded in very, very binary terms. Yeah. Like the body types that you see are either those that have transitioned or those that are very well groomed, worked out, etc., And I think reclaiming that ownership and saying no queer bodies, there is a much wider range. And also these are beautiful photographs that deserve to be in museums. So people see them. So people get used to them. So people understand them. That's really powerful. Yeah. And I think that for me, I want to see, you know, we've seen projects around queer people documenting faces Mm -hmm. um, and who people are talking about their stories. But I think for me, I want to see queer people in context. more. So I think that's what. That that is something I really want to see in the media landscape. And it's something that I think is starting to gain momentum. Yeah. Understanding like, for example, one of the components of the project is we're photographing them in their rooms mm. like the, or their studio, wherever they feel the most comfortable. Because I think that's as a queer person, I think that's where you start to understand like who you are. Those are the times when you're looking in the mirror, you're really like I, I had a very I have a very intimate relationship with my mirror. I know that sounds super weird, but there were moments where I would just like stare in the mirror for a really long time and be like, I hate this body, mm-hmm. you know? And and being able to reclaim my self image by myself, for myself, is so powerful. And I want queer people to be able to do that with the photographs they see of themselves where it's like, Wow, I look I look beautiful in that. Right. Or Oh my God, that person looks beautiful, and they look just like me. Yeah. So I'm beautiful. Like it, it's, it's, n- it's 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 visual representation,
0: right? And it's not a person against like a blank wall, right? Without exactly. Without context, without context, yeah. I think
1: understanding to the variety of backgrounds that queer people come from, the variety of things they do, um, the work that they're doing, people, the spaces that, the they're, spaces inhabiting. that they're inhabiting, all of that is super super powerful. And when we were talking earlier about the absence of language, I think there's a huge absence of visual language for queer folks, specifically those that are non-binary.
0: Yeah. So I want to talk about the actual experience of writing this piece. (laughs) What was it like? How did it feel to put this on paper, knowing that it was going to go out into the world, you know, on a big online publication? And and also, like, what were your goals for this Mm. piece when you were writing it?
1: It's actually a great question. So I initially proposed this piece last summer and I've been writing it ever since, (laughs) (laughs) which is really wild to think about. Um, And it was really, really hard. And I think that's why it took so long. I was really scared. I was scared to write about it. I was scared to admit the things that I felt. I was scared to confront the things that I feel. I was scared to... I hadn't told my parents that I'd been on testosterone before, so that was another fear. Mm -hmm. But that was actually another goal. So when I released the piece, I sent it to my parents, and that was kind of my way. I'm very bad at uh, confrontation. (laughs) (laughs) That was my way of uh, sharing my story with them or my truth with them. And um, another goal was obviously showing other folks that feel the same way I do or identify the same way that I do um, that. This is an option that you can do and it doesn't have to be really big and scary. Yeah. Um, these are the, some of the resources that are out there. Here's Callan Lord who's like willing to provide that service for you if you're in, if you're in the New York area. Um, I think that was really important. and the other goal was also calling out calling out media and medical landscapes and basically saying like we need to do better in yeah. a way. I don't I don't think I say it super directly in the piece. Um, because that's not what the piece is about overall. But I do think that there's an underlying message of that where it's just like, I'm tired. We're all tired. Everyone that I identify with, the non-binary community is tired of being f- not forgotten, but there being a lack of representation for us because it really makes you... I mean, we all know this. When you don't see yourself, you can't know yourself. Right. It's it's And if you do, it's it's really a lot of self-work and understanding that there are other people out there who have done this, understanding that you're not alone in that experience. I think all of those things were part of the goal.
0: Yeah. So you talked a little bit about the responses that you've been getting and yeah. you've been being like showered with with responses. Yeah, it's been it's great. great. Yeah. <laughs> um, can you talk a little bit about some of those messages that you've been getting and like what people have been saying?
1: Yeah. I mean, I've gotten a lot of messages from people who are like, thank you for seeing me. Thank you for putting words to my experience. Thank you for writing down the things that I feel every single day. Yeah, I'm, like, overwhelmed with emotion every single time, but it's incredible because, like, that that's, like, the least I can do kind of thing. Um, that and also people writing to me who aren't non-binary and are like, thank you so much for making me aware of something that I had no idea existed. Or thank you so much for putting into context like why or how people present themselves in the world when they're non-binary, right? I had someone tell me, oh, I think my friend is non-binary and I think now I can I can kind of have that conversation with them and encourage them to like change their pronouns um, if they feel, you know, you know yeah, what I mean? Right. Um, like I think it just opened up a lot of doors for people or kind of like took the blinders off and yeah. made them feel like they're valid and that has been the greatest thing to come of all of it. One other thing that stood out to me was I got a lot of I got a lot of messages from people who have partners who are non-binary who are like my partner. I sent this to my partner. My partner thinks they're going to go on hormones now mm. and try it. And thank you so much. You know, so I think, yeah, it's, it's I don't I still don't know how to like really understand it or I, I, I flip flop between thinking it's a big deal and thinking it's not a big deal. But I just am really, really happy that people feel like they're seen because yeah. I wanted that for myself and I want that for anyone who's gone through that experience or is going through the experience of being non-binary in this world where, you know, it's it's just it's hard. It's a very invisible identity in my mind while at the same time being very visible because there are so many people who feel that way but just don't have the language or haven't seen something about it. And then all of a sudden, like a light bulb clicks or a, light, a, a flip switches and they're like, oh, wait a second. That's exactly what I feel. Yeah. And that's what I was for so long.
0: Well, it's an amazing piece. If you haven't read it already, please go read it. Um, Eliza, congratulations. Thank
1: you so much. <laughs> um,
0: just for, you know, sharing your story. Thank you. Yeah. And yeah, I hope I hope that this is the beginning of a lot more stories like this, you know, kind of honest and open and nuanced representation in the media so uh
1: non-binary media non-binary media media. (laughs) yes
0: um yeah stay tuned for for that (laughs) yeah um all right well thanks eliza
1: thank you so much sophie i really appreciate it of course and i hope i did a good job you did
0: a great (laughs) job (laughs) you can read eliza's full essay at broadly.vice.com that's it for now. Thanks so much for listening, and make sure to tune in again on Friday for another Vice Guide to Right Now. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts